So Lenny just committed the most cardinal sin in the cathedral of country music. Who sang that song? That song you heard this morning is as iconic of a country song as you will ever hear, Lenny. It's a legendary song. Lost Highway has been covered by everyone from U2 to Tom Petty to Leon Russell to Coldplay, Jeff Buckley, Willie Nelson, an absolutely heartbreaking rendition by Towns Van Zant, And of course, the greatest cover of all was performed by this man, Mr. Hank Williams. It was about as accurate of a biography as Hank ever sang. It was the story of his life. He was always on the road, almost always drunk, or up to his ears in degradation, always a woman breaking his heart, and he died young before he was even 30, the lost highway having stomped the living daylights out of him. Take a ride alongside Interstate 65 today to Montgomery, Alabama. And you'll discover a great sign on the side of the road that says the Hank Williams Memorial Lost Highway. This song was his life. This song was his. But he didn't write it. And he was not the first one to record it. Lost Highway was written and recorded by this man, Leon Payne, in 1948. Leon was a Texas musician, a singer, a songwriter. Having lost his sight as a child... His blindness never stopped him. He was known as the blind balladeer. He burned up the roads of the American West, juke joints, saloons, bars, clubs, honky-tonks, county fairs, radio shows, busking on the streets. He was hitchhiking out of California one time, trying to get home, back home to Texas where his mother lay dying. And you know that's a country song just getting started, just snot flying, tears falling. <laughs> he was broke, and no one would help him. He was alone, and finally the local Salvation Army said that they would get him home. He had to go down to the mission, hear a few sermons first. He heard a few sermons. He went outside to wait on the bus to arrive with his fare. He sat down on the side of the road waiting on that bus, those fiery Salvation Army sermons ringing in his ears. He took his guitar out and wrote these lyrics, I'm a rolling stone, all alone and lost. For a life of sin, I have paid the cost. When I pass by, all the people say, just another guy on the lost highway. Leon Payne succeeded in getting that song recorded, and he released it to country music, and it was a flop. He might as well have been hitchhiking back to Texas. No one cared. But when Hank Williams heard it and covered it for his debut album in 1951, putting that signature high and lonesome on it, well, country radio reacted a bit differently. These two men, Leon Payne with his words and music and Hank Williams with that masterful delivery, put two phrases forever into the North American lexicon. The first phrase, like a rolling stone. Muddy Waters, the great blues singer, would borrow that phrase a few years later for one of his most epic songs. And a young Englishman listening on the other side of the Atlantic named Mick Jagger heard that song and thought he, in turn, would borrow it for this new band that he was starting. And then a couple years later, the great Bob Dylan heard it and thought he would borrow it as well to write the greatest rock and roll song of all time. The other phrase, the song's title, Lost Highway. 
It has been used and reused in songs, art, film, literature, poetry. It's even the inspiration, for God's sakes, of ACDC's Highway to Hell. The road to perdition created by one's own hapless decisions and one's own sins. Of course, even Payne and Williams are borrowing the image. They should pay copyright to the originator of this phrase. It belongs to Jesus. In this great story that he told about a boy who leaves home down a lost highway and destroys himself, absolutely wrecks his life. And that story is known as the story of the prodigal son. We read from Luke 15 today. Verses 11 through 19. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So here we have this kid, the baby boy, born into a wealthy family, sucking on a silver spoon. And he grows up to be a selfish, foolish, desperately stupid young man. Maybe he had always been that way. Maybe he was colicky. Maybe he acted out at school, was defiant, was sent home most every day with a little note or where he had had to serve detention. Maybe he came home each day with a bloody nose because he couldn't keep his mouth shut on the playground on the soccer field. Barely gets through high school. And that's only because everybody knew his father. Goes to college. Flunks out. Too much of a party animal. Too far from home. Too interested in having a good time. Doesn't mean that he's a complete loss. He's probably handsome. Probably manipulative. Probably skilled. Knows how to get his way. Keeps working all of the angles for most of his life. But finally it gets to a point that he's had enough of home. He goes to his father one day and he says, if you'll just write the check, I'll go on and get the hell out of here. And it's as big of an insult as you could ever offer in the Jewish context. To say to your father in that context, I want my inheritance before he's dead, is to say, I wish you were dead. Why can't you hurry up and die so I can get mine? What does the father say to this? As you wish. He writes a check. And it's not a little check. In those days the younger son would receive a full one third of the father's possessions. 
This young man is now independently, incredibly wealthy. And we have to ask ourselves, why would this father do that? Why would this man finance his son's disaster? Because he knows the son is going to meet disaster, like parents know. Amen? You know? You know? It was because the father knew, he knew in his heart, that he could not hold that boy at home. He was leaving. He was going. And when he handed that check over to that young man, it was wet with tears. Because he knew what was going to happen. And he knew that his son was going to have to fall and going to have to fail. Life would have to teach him the lessons that he had resisted and rebelled against at home. And that is love in its own way. And most of us aren't strong enough to love like that. We try to hold. We try to fix. We try to manipulate. But this causes the one that we love usually to only pull away further. And in our anxiety, we go chasing after them. The father sat down on the porch. And there he stayed. And his son went off on that lost highway to learn the lessons they had to learn. You know the rest of the story. It's predictable. The boy hits the road. He attracts fair weather friends. He spends all his money. And it's then that the stock market collapses. An economic recession sweeps through the land. He's burned through what would have been his trust fund. His BMW gets repossessed. He has to pawn his diamond ring, baby. That's a line from Rolling Stone, by the way. He has to sell his Rolex. He's got nothing. No prospects, no job. And he finds himself in a pig pen, feeding hogs. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever had to feed hogs. I grew up in the country, and we had hogs on the farm. It's got to be really bad for me to go back to feeding hogs. And it would have been really bad for this young Jewish boy. Pork in the Jewish diet? Are you kidding me? 200 years before Jesus, the nation of Israel had fought a war of independence over the fact that a Greek ruler came to Jerusalem and sacrificed a pig on their holy altar. And it was like the Boston Tea Party when it happened. And everybody got up in arms. A revolution took place. Such is their restriction here. And so when Jesus puts this boy into the pig pen, He has put this boy just as low as he can go. Here he is, the son of a wealthy landowner, and he is at the bottom of the social order. He's used up. He's wasted. He's nobody. And it is here, though, that he goes to school. The school of hard knocks. Anybody got the graduation certificate from that place? Education via tribulation. Eye-opening experience for this young man. And after nearly starving to death, finally he says one day, Well, 
maybe home wasn't so bad after all. You know what I'll do? I'll go home. I'll go home. And he gets up, no shoes on his feet, rags on his body, and he starts walking. It's desperation. It's hunger. It's back against the wall that caused him to come to his senses. And we can judge him if we want to. You can sit there today and say, well, the only reason he went home is because he lost everything. The only reason he ever thought of home again in his father is because he had nowhere else to go. Well, yeah, because that's how it works. How many of us really make any significant changes in our lives? How many of us until we are absolutely forced to do it? That's human nature. I wish it were different. I wish we could just wake up one day and say, I'm going to do better. But we don't. We have to be pushed against the wall. We have to have life kick our teeth in. We have to reach the very bottom. And then we begin to say something like, I need to surrender to a higher power because that's my only chance of regaining my sanity. That's what happens here. He starts walking west, sun's rising on his back. After a while, it's above his head. A little while longer, it's setting out in front of him. He spends the night cold in the dark, half naked. The next morning, gets up, walks some more, long, hot day. Next night, long, eternal night. Day after day after day, he walks because this lost highway had taken him far, far from home. But finally, He begins to see some things that are familiar. The post office. Town square hasn't changed much. Bell tower. He gets through town, knows it like the back of his hand, takes a left on the old river road, walks a little further, comes to the crest of a hill, looks down in the valley, and there's the farmhouse. Don't you know he had to stand there and weep? How long had it been since he had seen it? Two years, five years, ten years, fifteen years. And don't you know those steps, especially those last few steps, were the heaviest that he took. We know why he went home, but what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now? Luke 15, 20 through 24. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. The boy sees an old man sitting in a rocking chair on the porch. And the old man gets up on the edge of his seat and squints out into the sun. And then the old man moves over to the steps and leans over a little bit. And then it happens. That moment of recognition 
like all of us can pick up a child out of a lineup. What does he do? Oh, I would show you if you'd been here Wednesday night, I demonstrated. He would have, as a Jewish man, gathered up his robe, tucked it up to his waist, and take off running. It's called girding up your loins. Great King James Version phrase. So Wednesday night, I put a coat on, tied it around me, and I girded it up to show him how it was done. And I girded myself so tight I couldn't get it off, so I'm not demonstrating again today. For years, the father had sit there, sat there and resisted every compulsion to chase after him, to rescue him, to fix him, to go sweeping into the pig pen and pull this kid out of the mire. He knew where that boy was, yet he stayed at home waiting and watching and hoping and praying and weeping and cursing. School wasn't out yet. Lessons still had to be learned. So he paces that porch and he studies the horizon. But when the boy turns toward home with those halting heavy steps, the father jumps from his chair, leaps over the rail and runs to him. Indignity for a Jewish man to run like that. Growing up in the South, Ladies didn't run. Anybody know what I'm saying? I mean, maybe in a sports competition. I never saw my mama run. Did you? Never saw my aunts run. Never saw any of my, my teachers run. You didn't do that. Saw my grandmother run one time. I got choked up this morning right about here, and I'm hoping not to do it today on the second service, but... I was out in the garden about five years old. My sister and I, busting clods. Anybody know what that is? You know, got a hoe, just busting clods, having a ball. My sister to this day says it was an accident. <laughs> she hit me over the head with a garden hoe. You know how head wounds are. I thought I was dying. Ah! I scream, rolling around in the dirt. In the red Georgia clay. I'm dying. Blood's everywhere. And I roll over on my stomach and I look toward the house. And here comes my 75-year-old grandmother. I'm going to do it again. And I can see her now wearing this beige dress and a blue apron. Her hair back in bobby pins. Bobby pins flying. She's running to me. Only time I ever saw her run. It's probably the only time this boy ever saw his father run. Who was he running to? He was running to him. And we have a word for that in the Christian world. It's called grace. You can treat God like he does not exist. You can write God off as if he were dead. You can waste everything that he gives you and squander away your time and your talents. You can gamble away your health and destroy your body. You can do the worst of things, the absolute worst of things, and think I am no longer worthy and I can never be forgiven for that. But if you will take one step toward home, God will run to you. And he'll meet you in the driveway before you can even get on the porch. And take you into his arms. I'll finish with one last story. 
And I'll pick up the rest of this parable next week. Good. I'll have to cry through that one too, probably. But <laughs> Damn, I didn't think I'd do it a second time. I thought I got it all out. <clears throat> Thank you. Last thing Billy said when he left the stage is, you want a handkerchief for you go home? <laughs> no, I'm all right this time. <clears throat> it's an old Spanish story about a father and a son who had become estranged. Over what? Who knows? doesn't matter whatever things that fathers and sons are estranged over and finally the boy ran away he left his father didn't know what to do he knew he couldn't chase after him he knew he couldn't force him to do anything couldn't make him come back and so the father went down to the newspaper in madrid back when everybody read newspapers and he took out a little ad, a tiny little ad in the paper, and it read this, this way. Paco, the boy's name was Paco. Nos vemos en la plaza, el sabado por la mañana. Todo está perdonado. And the translation is this. Dear Paco, meet me at the square on Saturday morning. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. And on Saturday morning when the man got to the square, there were 800 Pacos. all wishing and hoping that that message was from their father. When it gets right down to it, when it gets right down to it, we're all just running away from the love that God wants to show. And if you think you're the only one, you can quit thinking that way. Every one of us have walked down that lost highway. We've all been there. And the one that you love That's so lost today. He or she isn't alone either. The good news. Is we can all go home. And when we're ready. And the lessons have been learned. In the bottom of our souls. We know. That love. Will welcome us back.